0: to Subtext and Discourse, the podcast taking you behind the scenes of the art world with the unique individuals involved in the field. I'm your host, Michael Dooney. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Elena Fijou, founder and director of Ex-Girlfriend Gallery and non-profit multi-purpose artist initiative, Her. We talk about her journey from the States to Europe, putting aside her own artistic practice to raise the voices of other artists, as well as the professional and personal changes that took place for her during corona. There is currently a show at Ex-Girlfriend, which ends this weekend, so if you happen to be in Berlin, you can catch The Finissage of Wetlands by Marius Presterud on Friday the 25th of June from 5pm. Please be sure to subscribe to Subtext and Discourse podcast on your favourite streaming platform. However, without further ado, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Eleanor Fijou. Obviously, by your accent, I'm (laughs) guessing that you're not German.
1: Yeah, correct. Yes. So
0: you're from the USA?
1: Yeah. So actually, I was born in Toronto, Canada. I grew up there just for a few years and then moved to the US with my parents to Florida. Oh, really? The uh, (laughs) complete opposite. (laughs) Definitely different climate. And yeah, I spent the majority of my life in Florida.
0: I don't know much about Florida. I hear a lot of it on last week tonight.
1: And... You could probably just watch like or Google Florida man and it's accurate. Like, yeah. It's pretty accurate. It's a totally weird place. And growing up, I don't know, I guess I a little bit resented it. But then now that I go back, I kind of love its kookiness and its wackiness. And it's just a state of a lot of different people you just have from all over the US and elsewhere. They all somehow end up in Florida. And it's a lot of characters and yeah it's a weird state but you know if you can appreciate it for its weirdness yeah
0: (laughs) and i think from what i've seen from afar what i quite admire is that it seems very authentic and unapologetic they're like Mm -hmm. yes of course that's florida yeah we're not going to apologize
1: (laughs) yeah and what's weird about it is it's such an idyllic place like the landscape is gorgeous So it has some of the most beautiful beaches that you'll see I think in the world, Mm -hmm. the wildlife, there's still like mass areas of swampland and untouched land. So it's just this like beautiful, wild, kooky place, you know? And so, yeah, it's like Disneyland and then swamps and alligators and carnivals. That's where I grew up, where the carnivals did their off season.
0: Okay. (laughs) Did you go from there to Berlin?
1: No, I didn't. So I got into art. I don't know. I guess it was like my late teens, early 20s. I was kind of an unfocused student. I didn't really know what I was into or what I wanted to do until I took my first sculpture class at the community college in Tampa. And that kind of shifted everything for me. I went from being really unfocused, not really caring or having a direction to hyper-focused, a very good student. I kind of found my people and my purpose. So after that, was determined to go to grad school. And my initial idea, I think as many young, pragmatic, maybe art and, uh, aspiring art people are, was to be a teacher or a professor and go that route. So I was determined to go to grad school and get my degree and then teach and be a practicing artist that way. Uh, obviously, that's not how it turned <laughs> out, but... <laughs> We come to find out later in the story that it's not so easy. And a lot of us were kind of given that promise, you know, when the jobs weren't there. But I get ahead of myself. So I studied at HCC and then I went to the local university to finish my four-year degree in the arts. Mm -hmm. My background is as an artist, as a studio artist. And I started as, I guess, a little bit more traditional sculptor. So I did a lot of woodworking, metalworking And then I went to University of Illinois, Chicago for my master's. So I left Florida, went to Chicago, and this was my first time living in an actual city, like a big city. And so that was quite a shock for me.
0: It's also a favorite for the north, isn't it?
1: Oh, yeah, it is north. (laughs) (laughs) It's the opposite side again. So you're in the Great Lakes region and very close to the Canadian border. So I went from Canada, then to Florida, then to Chicago. And I was pretty sheltered growing up. And my parents are both immigrants. My mother's from Quebec, the northern part of Canada. So her first language actually is French. And then she came to Toronto. And my father is from Cape Verde, which is a small island chain off the coast of Africa, but he's from Portuguese descent. So he was in the Portuguese army and then he left and moved to Canada. And that's where he met my mother. And then we moved to Florida. So we (laughs) had, and this is significant because before I left, my traditional practice was about my relationship with my immigrant parents, specifically my father. I used to make a lot of collaborative work with
0: Mm -hmm. my father. Oh, he was also an artist?
1: No, (laughs) (laughs) he was not, but I still forced him to do it. So there would be kind of these tasks that i would ask him to do like photographing his room in his 60s he decided that he wanted to learn how to fly these small cessna planes and so he started taking courses and if you walked into his room it was as if you walked into the room of uh, a 12 year old boy because he had hung like model airplanes from the ceiling and then had like (laughs) had like a, a cockpit poster that he like hung over his bed for grad school, I sent him a disposable camera and I asked him to take photos. And I only gave him a few stipulations that he needs to take the photos and he just shouldn't stage the photos, just take the photos and do the best you can and send them back. Well, he didn't listen to my rules. <laughs> and he definitely staged the photos, you can tell. and But some he didn't. It resulted in a book. The book is called Number One Father-Daughter. Yeah. So, he sent me photos with him in the photos. <laughs> so, I, so, But that was kind of interesting to me and important that he wasn't an artist, but he had autonomy in how he was presented in the work. And it was really raw work. I put a lot of our personal conversations in the book. I documented all kinds of different interactions, even arguments that we've had. Then... The kind of sad progression of that story, though, is my father a few years ago was diagnosed with Alzheimer's.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. And,
1: yeah, he passed away last year in April. So, but we've just come along to the one year anniversary of his passing. But yeah, it's just kind of strange because I still have this like anthology or this archive of our kind of raw relationship. But that was my work before, mm-hmm. I guess, the Berlin chapter. How Berlin came into my mind at all was I started to participate in these international artist residencies pretty much immediately. Yeah. So I went to Iceland for one, and Slovenia and Romania. It was in between those artist residencies that I came to Berlin for the first time just for a visit, and I guess fell in love with the city. I felt like I get the vibe that's happening here, and I was really into it. So when I came back to Chicago, I was just working at a nonprofit gallery there called Heaven as the gallery manager there and kind of didn't know what I was going to do next. So then I thought, okay, I met someone when I was here and he was like, oh, just move here. You know, I was like, I don't know. Maybe I was interested in moving to Leipzig because I heard that had a really interesting art scene and he was like, no, move to Berlin because you know me, at least you'll know somebody and then you can always go visit. Yeah. Well, let me tell you, I have still not been to Leipzig. Oh, really at <laughs> all? I want to go so bad. I knew at that point though I wanted to start a space. So a shift had happened in the artist residencies. This was also during a time in the United States which has been pretty much all time, but specifically this time where there were a particularly high number of police brutality instances and it was seemingly just coming to a real head. I was having a really hard time making work in the face of this. I just felt like producing more objects became less meaningful for me. It just felt like there were larger issues to address. So I started to make this shift away from my own personal narratives, which I did see as meaningful or universal in in a way. But trying to think of ways to create space for other people's narrative. So that's how I arrived at the idea of starting a space.
0: I mean, I know I've had this similar experience myself spending time outside of Australia and then going back to it. You've been away for long enough that when you come back, you see it a bit differently. Is that essentially what happened when you went back to the US that you saw it in a more fresh way?
1: Yeah, I was looking at the U.S. from the outside because I was in these kind of remote residencies. Iceland was really the turning point for mm-hmm. me. So I'm in this tiny town of 500 residents in Iceland, and I'm watching the political unraveling in the U.S., and I'm heartbroken. I'm, I, I don't really know how to move forward, yet I'm still producing. I'm not changing my practice, which I found problematic for mm-hmm. me. So when I came back from Iceland, back to Chicago, I knew, okay, something needs to grow. Something needs to shift. Then the opportunity, I just, well, it wasn't really an opportunity, more just a decision. I'm going to go to one more residency. This was the Romanian residency. And then I'm not going to come back. I'm going to go to Berlin. So I just packed everything I could into two large suitcases (laughs) I left a lot of stuff. All of my artwork I left, I gifted to other people. And then I just moved to Berlin on a whim. It's actually terrifying now looking back at it, how that, like, what balls? Like, I don't know what I was thinking. I guess I thought it would be a lot easier. It wasn't. It isn't. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of say this to people all the time about starting anything is you have to have, or at least I've had to have a healthy dose of naivete and mm-hmm. just cluelessness and a little bit of courage and also no one would start anything if you really knew what it took. Yeah. And that also applies to ex-girlfriend and her, the other project.
0: Thinking about it now, when you came here and starting these two new ventures, did you speak any German before you arrived? No. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I not only didn't speak any German, I'd never studied it. Like I never heard it even, you mm-hmm. know, my mother spoke French. And Portuguese, so I grew up hearing a lot more criolu, just like a Cape Verdean dialect of Portuguese and Portuguese, but German. Yeah, no, absolutely, it was from the a last, different family of languages. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it would have been the last language I thought I would have learned. But now it's so funny; as it's the second language I know the most, yeah. of course. So I didn't know any German when I moved here, and I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know I was going to stay. Mm-hmm. I moved here thinking that I would just. Live here for a few months and see what it's like, kind of get a better sense of the community and the scene, the art scene, as people Mm -hmm. love to say, (laughs) and um, kind of make connections and network and then see what was going to happen. I didn't think I'd have the resources to start a space right away, Mm -hmm. but that's the kind of (laughs) funny turn of events is about a month after I moved to Berlin, I met a German couple They're from the southern part of Germany, both lawyers, but different types of lawyers. Because when I moved here, I put a job ad out to Nanny just for a job to make some money. And I've done that kind of concurrently through my art career as a side hustle, let's say. I started working for them and watching their young girl. And then they asked me, you know, why are you here? (laughs) (laughs) And I said exactly that. I was like, I want to start a space. And they said, okay, let's do it. Oh, really? (laughs) So um, that's basically how it started. It really was like, okay, I guess we'll do that. And I didn't think much about it at the time because here's this amazing opportunity. Mm -hmm. Two people who are willing to take a chance and invest in this project, give me some freedom to create it. And get it off the ground. and so I didn't really think about anything. like I <laughs> I saw a door and I walked through it. Yeah, here comes the healthy part of naivete <laughs> again. <laughs> you know, so there's more to it than just wanting to do it. It's starting a business is very complicated and very difficult, especially in a foreign country.
0: But they had an interest in art or you'd been looking after their children for a while? It was no, just...
1: this was a month. I met them a month after I moved here and maybe two months or something after that, Yeah, they wanted to start the business. So they didn't outright give me really anything in the sense that they had invested then in a commercial space. This is the first ex-girlfriend space. So we started in Steglitz. And, and the whole space together was about 150 square meters. Wow. Okay. And how we did it, the business plan, let's say, was that we divided the space into three small artist studios and then an exhibition space. And then we had like a little kitchen in the back and maybe a little bit of storage, but that was it. So the exhibition space wasn't so big. We rented out the artist studios and that helped us subsidize the exhibition space.
0: Oh, perfect.
1: Yeah. Like this. So... Basically, what they had put in was that they bought the place, but then when we went our separate ways, they kept the place. So I had a kind of subsidized rent. I'm sure that they could rent that space for more than what I paid them. I still Mm -hmm. paid them rent every month, but it was probably a lot cheaper than what they could get. So that was their contribution,
0: to the yeah. space. Oh, and they get a tenant that they like and that they want to have.
1: Yeah. So we had a good working relationship and we basically operated this way. And they also actually they helped us set up the business legally. They did all the paperwork, oh, they found good, yeah. tax accountants, like all the things that would have been really difficult for me to do as a foreigner mm-hmm. and not speaking the language. So they did a lot of that foundational work in terms of. The creative vision, the artwork that we showed, and everything else, the the functioning of the gallery, Mm -hmm. it was me. Yeah. So it was a clear divide that way, divided to the people (laughs) (laughs) the the way it should, because there's certain things I knew nothing about. And then there were other things on my side that they didn't know so much about. So (laughs) I actually have a really funny story with that particular situation where coming up with the name Ex-Girlfriend
0: yeah, I mean, that was that's eventually going to be one of my questions. So. <laughs>
1: Every person asks me, this is the most asked question I've ever heard in my life, probably. How? Why did you name the space ex-girlfriend? Yeah. There, <laughs> there's not this perfect story of why I decided on the name ex-girlfriend. It really was born from an idea that I wanted it to be playful. I wanted it to kind of inch towards commercial gallery. I still wanted it to be understood as having the, the approach of a project space as well. So mm-hmm. I wanted to be playful. I wanted it to be feminist. I wanted it to just not take itself too seriously. But I also like the transient nature of an identity assigned, such as ex-girlfriend, mm-hmm. that this is in relationship to somebody else. And it also describes a break, a transition. And this fit really well with the initial idea of Ex-Girlfriend, which was that we operate on an open call, that we constantly have new artists coming in, redefining the space. And in the very beginning, I had this idea of it being more democratic, where everyone who showed in the space would be part of the board who would then decide who would be the next showing artist. So it had Uh, this like really... (laughs) Oh, that went down the drain, right? Because, yeah, that's not working, right? I learned that very quickly on... But this was the initial idea. But anyway, so, you can imagine that two Southern German lawyers not in the art world, not very familiar with the art world, would not Name their space, ex girlfriend. (laughs) Right. So I remember specifically the day we had already found the space and we were, you know, getting everything set up. And so we're sitting outside at a beer garden or something. And yeah, it took me about two drinks to be able to, I think we all to kind of come up with it. And I forget which one asked me, but they said, okay, so did you think of a name? And I'm like, yeah, actually, I did. And they're like this is it, <laughs> like I, like this is the name that we're doing. They're like, oh, okay, great. what is it? And I just said, ex-girlfriend, the look on their mm-hmm. face, really, was i I don't know if it's like the look you would get when you pop someone's birthday balloon or something. <laughs> you know, just <laughs> a shock and fear mixed together. And I think at that point they started to regret their decisions, yeah. so, <laughs> then, you know, but at this point, you know, they're like, okay, they're not going to shoot it down. This is obviously my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, oh, they send me an email later and they're like, well, you know, we were thinking, okay, ex-girlfriend, but what about art house Berlin? Or what about, oh. yeah. And started <laughs> sending me these suggestions and I'm just like, listen, guys, trust me. It's ex girlfriend. That's what it's gonna be. And so they're like, okay, fine. Yeah, that's it is what it is. And then they, of course, they're gonna go to their network and see if they can get some feedback mm-hmm. of what people think. And so I guess they were at some exhibition or somewhere, and they were telling somebody about the project. And then that person asked <laughs> the dreaded question, "What's the name of the project?" And then they are like, "Oh." ex-girlfriend yeah and then the person looked at them and said great name (laughs) really great name you know or something like that and then they're like (laughs) Uh, and to be honest with you it really was one of the best decisions of the space not to toot my own horn but people remember it Mm -hmm. and i get asked all the time why is it called ex-girlfriend i think it provokes more questions than it does answers and i think for me that's also a foundation to a lot of the art that i'm interested in and what makes really great art for me is works that make more questions than they provide answers
0: yeah is that the kind of work then that you curate for the space or that you select honestly it was through open calls but when you're narrowing down the open calls are you going more in that direction
1: yeah we have a kind of soft focus on digital work, things that people could describe as having to do with the internet and technology. But that's not a hard and fast rule for the space. I'm just interested in very contemporary topics, things that we haven't thoroughly examined Mm -hmm. and explored that create more questions. So I would say, yeah, that is a huge consideration or a major consideration when curating of The space, yeah,
0: and was it from the beginning? Like when you started, actually, I'm, I think we're jumping forward. Yeah, so they yeah had, no, no, it's So it went from the name. They were at a party. They said, "Oh, this is our space." It's ex-girlfriend, and then the other person said, "Oh, great! Sounds yeah. really cool."
1: Yeah. What so, happened next? So then they were they were down right. Then they were convinced. They had the couple of instances where they, you know, were told it was good, and so then they, I think, developed a little bit more trust mm-hmm. than in me. So I ran the space. In the Stiglitz location. We opened in October 2016 and then left at the end of 2018. I eventually bought them out because oh. I don't think that they were ever really interested in doing it long term. And I wasn't interested in continuing the nanny mm-hmm. job anymore. So it was just in all of our best interest that we went separate ways. And yeah, the gallery is doing really well. And I had an idea for a new space that I wanted to do on my own. Okay, and that was her. It was at the end. I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure at the end of 2018 we split ways, and I found the new space in Ultimate and Off, which oh, okay. is far. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the very end of the U6 line, and yeah, so. The reason for this space was that it's just much, much larger. So between her and ex-girlfriend, we have a thousand square meters. Wow. That's yeah. a lot. It's big. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea with this was I no longer liked the dynamic of the artist studios subsidizing the art space. The reason for that was that I was not showing the artist in studio in ex-girlfriend. So it was very separate. I wanted to keep that separate. And I also, I wanted to develop something a little bit closer to a residency. So I wanted to continue to do the artist studios, but I wanted them to be nonprofit. Mm-hmm. So that's the concept of her is it we have registered it, It's a nonprofit organization. And not only do we offer Got it. Now we've built more, but it's like twenty-five artist spaces of different sizes. We also try to provide extra services, so organizing studio visits with the visiting artists for ex-girlfriend to do studio visits with the her artists to involve the her artists more. in ex-girlfriend. We also offer like workshops, or we'll host open studio events for the artists in residence. Mm-hmm and um, that's all part of the cost to be a part a member of her you get the studio and then you all of these other services are included
0: oh okay and just quickly the name yeah. her was there a link to ex-girlfriend so, Like who are they with now uh, uh, yeah the,
1: the full <laughs> name is human aesthetic resources ah, nice. um <laughs> yeah the e-spelling aesthetic but Yeah. So I kind of like this corporate sounding name, obviously her and ex-girlfriend. It's also then continuing in the female identified name, but yeah, they're all kind of a joke in a way, you know, it's like semi-serious, semi-playful and that's how I'm operating (laughs) for the most part. So yeah, we then found this space. It's like an industrial, an old industrial space in alt Did it take long to find a space? Yeah, we had a real estate person. So my mm-hmm. partner Daniel helped me find this place. So we had someone looking actively for a while, but I don't know. It probably didn't take more than six months, I guess. Okay. In the well, that's end. pretty good. Yeah, but we had to renovate it from nothing. So it was like had it was divided. It was like uh, used as a mass production hall.
0: Mm-hmm. So a proper industrial space.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, but not even like. Some industrial spaces are beautiful and you could just leave them as is. It wasn't that. Okay. It wasn't. It was like office building space oh, kind right. of thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, they had all these tiny rooms which had glass walls in between them with little doors where you could hand, I guess, things from one room to the next. It was like production, but hand production. Oh. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly what they were doing, but ex-girlfriend now where the exhibition space is now was the cafeteria Mm -hmm. so that's why when you go to ex-girlfriend there are these big double swinging canteen doors (laughs) it's actually the original doors from the cafeteria and where we have our little kitchen bar that was where the food was made for the cafeteria so it's exactly like that it looks like you know um when you stand in line to get your lunch at the lunch hall and then you go to the cafeteria this is ex-girlfriend with wow. the entrances is, is like.
0: Oh, so you've moved the gallery from Steglitz to yeah. Almirandorf So we moved okay.
1: everything. Yeah. yeah. So I started her, that was the kind of incarnation of her mm-hmm. and then ex-girlfriend rented or takes space from her. Basically. I consider her like the parent of ex-girlfriend, like ex-girlfriend's operating within her. Mm-hmm. And I've, kind of veering ex-girlfriend more towards the nonprofit side, more towards a project space than a commercial space. Okay. Um,
0: What was the reasoning for that or maybe drove that decision?
1: I think that it was just out of necessity in a way that it was very difficult to run a commercial space and to make that actually profitable. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't really my my dream or like it wasn't really my goal to start a profitable gallery Mm.
0: space or to sell artwork
1: or to sell art Yeah, yeah it wasn't really although I find it extremely important to sell art for the artists and to make everything more sustainable I think that's why I wanted it to still teeter between commercial and project space because I wanted to make a point to say selling your art is really important and we want to help that at the end of the day we didn't have the infrastructure. I don't have the funding to really do it yeah. that well. So, yeah, I feel that for us and the type of work that I w- want to show, which is more experimental, more mm-hmm. of installation heavy. And you do
0: a lot of performances.
1: We do a well, lot yeah. of performance. Uh, yeah, it's basically some of the hardest work to sell. <laughs> like, you know, it's not super easy. You can't hang it over a couch, you yeah. know, so... I don't want to change that. I don't want to change the work that we show to fit a commercial audience. So it's a learning process, a learning curve. I still do like the idea of interjecting ourselves in art fairs. We've participated in a few art fairs. Oh, okay. And Which fairs did you do? We participated in positions for two years. We didn't apply this year because of COVID and it's just a hard time, right? We just took a break from fairs this year, totally. But then we also did a small fair in Paris called Bienvenue. Mm -hmm. And that was in 2019. So we've only been kind of doing it since we moved to the new space.
0: Mm -hmm. Was it the first time you'd done an art fair? Like with ex-girlfriend?
1: Positions was the first time. That was 2018, I think, was the first one. We were still in the Stieglitz location.
0: How was it for you? As an artist that's decided, I'm going to start a gallery, To go into this hyper-commercial environment. Oh, it's
1: funny. Yeah, it's (laughs) weird. So, every art fair I've done, I have kind of an approach like this is more of an introduction of our space to others. It was never, again, I'm probably the world's worst gallerist, you know, because (laughs) it wasn't like... That focused on like how many things and how much can we sell and sell and sell and sell. So it was sculpture heavy. We had an actual ceramic installation by an artist named Vera Cox, who's mm-hmm. based here in Berlin, does really beautiful stuff. She like poured actual plaster on site at the art fair oh, for cool. one of the works. Yeah. The good thing about it though, taking this approach and why we found it worthwhile to do it is that we had so much attention from the press and from others and so much great feedback because we were doing something different and not just like frames on the wall. And I think it was that first positions fair that we really started to get noticed in a real way. Mm-hmm. where other fairs and other organizers and gallerists were contacting us and interested in what we were doing
0: yeah i think that's the first year that i heard about you guys like prior yeah, to that probably i'd not really seen any press or heard anything and yeah. then there was kind of this buzz of oh you heard of that ex-girlfriend
1: yeah exactly <laughs> see that name is it comes in <laughs> handy Yeah. So that was it. It was probably that first positions because then we're in the city center more too, Mm -hmm. you know, because we've been kind of operating a little bit on the outskirts. I'm unknown. Although I was showing a lot of local artists. Yeah. It takes a few years, right? Then with positions, we just got like all of this press one after the other, after the other. And that was worthwhile to do positions Mm -hmm. for me. It was a really nice experience. And then the next year... (laughs) We did it again, and then I took it a step further because I kind of doubled down on my lack of interest. I was showing anything sellable. I showed <laughs> one work in the booth of an amazing American artist. His name's Christopher Mirdo. We work with him a lot, mm-hmm. and I really would suggest anyone to check out his work. And so we showed one work of his, and it was a... I think it was three and a half meter by three and a half meter LED screen, like the kind of screen that you use for a jumbotron. You have to rent it out. It comes in these modular blocks. And this one work, I think, with the LED screen is like 80,000 yeah. euros, but whatever. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The work is so great. He worked with computer scientists with this. It's not an algorithm or necessarily a program, but it's called Generative Adversarial Network, GAN. Mm-hmm. And what it does is you feed it. In his case, it was images, but it's like digital material and it scans all of the digital material and creates new material based on what you fed it. Okay. So it's constantly learning. And so it's kind of almost like a, an AI, I guess, but it's learning and producing new images forever. Yeah. You've probably seen it. It's a technology that I've seen used to produce realistic looking human faces, someone fed a GAN, Mm -hmm. you know, thousands of photos of people's faces, and then they show new faces, but they're not real people. Yeah, Same concept. That's just the method. What he fed the GAN was terabytes and terabytes of information found on hard drives from the Osama bin Laden compound. When the U.S. raided the compound, Mm -hmm. they confiscated like hard drive on hard drive on hard drive and that all became public. The stuff on these hard drives, as you can imagine, ranges from like memes to propaganda to religious texts to just pictures. So, what we showed was the result of feeding the GAN all of this digital information from the Osama bin Laden hard drives, what it produced. And the imagery is quite striking. Sometimes it's unrecognizable, but other times you see maybe like arabic text or there's one part that you kind of can make out political figures but as soon as you start to recognize something it shifts to something else there's landscape images what look like bomb sites and then there's smileys like memes and emojis and yeah like save. you know when you kind of save all the attachments from an email and you get like someone's letterhead or something Yeah, yeah, yeah That clearly made it onto this hard drive. There's was like <laughs> smileys and emojis and stuff on the hard drive that also get filtered in. So it's an amazing work. So we showed that. That was the only work in our booth for positions. I mean, it's quite
0: striking by the sounds of things. So you would only need to show that one work, I exactly. think. If you had anything else next to it, it might pull attention yeah. away from that.
1: So that is our, in a way, our approach. Mm-hmm. You know, it's serious, but... I try to run this space with a little bit of, like, I guess people would say, like a cheekiness, Mm -hmm. a little kind of wink, winking at status quo and an establishment, even of the art world doing things and kind of operating within them. But as one of my really great friends in grad school used to say, it's easier to break the windows from the inside. (laughs) So (laughs) I think about that a lot. And I think about how to function within established circles and to break the windows from the inside a little bit.
0: How has your approach changed since starting Her and shifting the gallery and then doing positions twice? How has Her then evolved?
1: It hasn't really been that much time, you know, so from our inception in 2016, now we're in 2021. It's still a super young idea, a young space, and it's basically me running it. And then I have the generous help of the people around me. Our events director, Kathy Bajour, she's helped me for years. And while I do the open calls and the kind of curation, she'll help put on other types of events that are a little bit more cross-disciplinary, bringing in new people into the space. So that constantly evolves the space into something else, depending on what she brings in.
0: Because you rent out the studios, don't you? Like all of the atlias are rented
1: out. And yeah, we're full at this point. So they're all rented out. And I would say that we're in a shifting point now and a growing place Mm -hmm. because of COVID. Yeah. We've been in lockdown longer than we've been out of lockdown in the new space.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. So
1: we opened the new space. I think this was, yeah, summer of 2019. So within the year, not even, we went into lockdown. So that is crazy to start this huge project. And then within a year, you're forced to shut it down. And we are an event-based space. We're too far outside the city. We're not getting people walking in off the street. Not like many galleries get so much foot traffic anyway. But when people come, they come because they know where they're going. (laughs) And they don't even know where they're going at the time. (laughs) So yeah, it's pretty brutal for us. What can we do? And again, like it, because we're such a small team and I rely a lot on just the kind of volunteer work of my friends, family, and other colleagues and artists, we don't have the infrastructure to shift totally into a new platform. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of galleries, I think, to survive, started to build on digital platforms and to do all these other types of things. And okay, we could have done something, but I wasn't really interested in it. I'm interested in that in-person interaction with the work in a space. The space was very important to me, which is funny because I'm so interested in digital work, but I didn't want to bring it back into the digital space. It had to be experienced and seen in a physical space. That mediation was important. Yeah. So it really put a pause on a lot of things and for the first time in years allowed me to stop because we were doing seven exhibitions a year, plus fairs, mm-hmm. plus events with her Then doing open studio events and organizing between our space. And we're, we share a hoth with the BB Ka. They have about 45 artist studios in the building next to us. Oh, okay. Which is amazing because we have this built-in community. And so when we do open studio events, I also invite them to participate. So we do these like huge open studio things that have hundreds of people. These are very time consuming and I have not had a chance to just like stop and think what am I doing? (laughs) I just kind of like... Well, even to
0: reflect on what you've already done.
1: Exactly. And like to
0: kind of take it all in and realize, what have we achieved in this period of time? Yeah, Yeah.
1: no time for that. We've had no time for that. You know, when you're showing an exhibition, one every two months about, and a little bit even more frequent than that, Mm -hmm. by the time you get it up, you're doing all the, but people don't see the emails, logistics, you're inviting people, you're trying to send out PDFs and all this stuff. By the time you like, get that off the ground and document the work, all this stuff, you're taking it down and you're putting the next one up. So yeah. I really had zero chance to reflect or to think about how this space or these spaces could better serve the community that I'm trying to participate in. And uh, COVID... And also then, as I mentioned earlier, the death of my father was right at the beginning of COVID. So I was kind of forced physically and emotionally to take a break and step away from the whole thing. And I actually spent that summer in Florida. I went back for two and a half months or something like that and just stayed with my family and didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. for. I like put my away message on ex-girlfriend and her and we somehow survived it. We did have a lot of people leave their studios. I wasn't going to keep them in a contract in their studios. So we let a lot of people not pay and also just leave or whatever. And then we got some funding from the state and then I used that to help subsidize it for them. So somehow we survived this thing. I don't know how it happened. (laughs) And I'm even shocked that we're full at this (laughs) point because it's still going on. Yeah. Right. So I've been rethinking a lot of the format of ex-girlfriend and how to do it better in the future, how to be more beneficial. And so, one of those ideas is to have less exhibitions Mm -hmm. per year, maybe just four, but those four to apply for funding to really do them right to work on publications in conjunction with the exhibitions, have more writing, maybe have performances or lectures or other things that involve the community, more events. And I think the funding is a huge part of it. When you're doing four exhibitions, you can kind of plan them and then apply for funding and really focus. But when seven, it's just like, it's a crazy amount.
0: Yeah. And do you think establishing the space, I guess now that the complex is a non-for-profit, does that help facilitate Funding and does it open up more doors, do you think, than if you were just a commercial space? Even though it's not just a commercial space, galleries, for better or worse, exist in this gray area between mm-hmm. you're a shop and you're a cultural institute that's supposed to provide a service to the community. Like, which one am I? Yeah. Whereas if you're a non for profit, it's psychologically for a lot of people a lot easier to say, oh, you're providing a service for mm-hmm. the greater good. I mean, are you able to at least benefit from that I to think some extent? So
1: we haven't yet. Just because this is all really new. Like I said, we got the nonprofit status in 2019, then COVID, and we're yeah. still recovering. But we or I hired on a grant writer, and I'm hoping that we can. Again, like for me, it's important. I, I get a thrill and I get excited to show, you know, these kind of really bold works. And what I really want is. Be able to fund them Mm -hmm. with that funding to give back to the artist. So the artists feel good working with us, working with me, and I'm excited about the kind of work that we can show. You know, and for years, I just feel like I've been asking artists to give me their best work without any money, and you know, I didn't have it, so I my eyes were bigger (laughs) than my wallet, let's say. And it's not fair, you know. That's not great. I don't want to do it that way. So. You have to, I think when you have an art space or I guess any business, to have the ability to recognize what you want and how you need to change to get it. And I never had a set idea like ex-girlfriend or her has to be this way. Mm -hmm. I was always, and I hope I still am, open to shifting and changing it depending on the need of the community or of what we're trying to do and the core objective. So that's, I think, over covid thinking, okay, the seven exhibitions is just... The idea was to give as many people exhibitions as possible and to take the resource of the space itself as a type of funding. Like, here's this huge 150-square-meter exhibition space. Do what you want, in a way. Which is a sort of... It is a support. Absolutely. But, you know, I I just want to do more. So, (laughs) there's just more. So, yeah, I think... Pairing it down, being really intentional with the exhibitions and working really hard with the artists to make it something super worthwhile for them through documentation, through press, through, you know, just having the ability to show something that they can use in their repertoire, in their portfolio as like this crown kind of like jewel, like look at this amazing exhibition that we put on.
0: I know I think it definitely sounds like a smart idea because rather than increasing the number of shows reduce the number of shows but make those shows bigger and more meaningful and the fact that you said you're obviously outside of the ring barn and a little bit further Mm -hmm. if that's four times a year that people make a trip out there you can look forward to that and you can plan it it's like oh you know next month there's the big show at ex-girlfriend let's head down there that would be really cool if it's every month, like, didn't we just go yeah. there like two weeks ago? Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And the nice thing about focusing ex girlfriend and its objective is that we can just do that and do it well. And then her still has the freedom to have these more ambiguous exhibitions and presentations. So that's where I see the open studios coming into play. And we love to bring in other artists such as like musicians and we even bring people who make food and you know these are so much fun because they're really loose and i like having both of those not necessarily trying to make one thing be everything but ex-girlfriend will do this and then her still can just give a larger opportunity to more people so all of the artists that are working in So far, we've done two open studios is all we could do. We fit one in last art week in that lull that we had in COVID that, you know, we kind of- Oh, last year in September. Yeah. Yeah. We kind of like (laughs) reopened. We should have probably not have done an event, but no one knew, you know, we didn't know. So we did the best we could, but we had a lot of empty studios (laughs) because of obvious reasons. So I just was like putting out calls to people in Berlin like hey you're in Berlin you want to be a part of our open studio bring your work I'll give you a free (laughs) exhibition space basically we want to do this thing so her is this great opportunity to do that other thing that I want to do which is just give as many people space and opportunity as possible
0: well it sounds like it's cool as a blank slate because if you've got a identity for ex-girlfriend sometimes things don't fit that mold you're like I'd really like to work with these people but it doesn't really fit to ex-girlfriend Whereas if you got her and that's more open, let's say, yeah. and it's like, okay, cool, we can get some caterers in, let's get in a florist, let's get in some other people, and then we can do this and combine it with this other event. And then yeah. part of that, maybe we can show as an event an ex-girlfriend, but it doesn't dilute what we're doing as our main thing. It, well, you have yeah. two separate things, essentially. You've got two different organizations under the one
1: roof. Yeah. The roof yeah, Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of freedom in her you know, they both have their worth. Mm -hmm. You know, it's lovely to let go of control with her. And it's also really meaningful and important to be rigorous with ex-girlfriend and really intentional.
0: Yeah. So, do you have a timeline yet or is it still just waiting to see what happens with vaccinations and restrictions and stuff? So, we
1: actually have an opening. (laughs) We have an exhibition opening at the end of this month on the 28th of May. And that is with an artist, his name is Marius Presterud. The exhibition is called Wetlands. So he's worked with ex-girlfriend in the past. And this is why I felt also comfortable putting on this exhibition so early. He knows me. We, we know each other personally. And we also are very aware of the circumstances. So expectations are understood. Yeah. And he had been scheduled in last year and I had to cancel his exhibition. So his exhibition also relies very specifically on the time of year because he's making work for bees and bats and the natural ecology around the space.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: So it's very specific, the timing. So we decided to go through with this. I gave him the ex-girlfriend space for pretty much the whole month to make the work's in situ and mm-hmm. so we're going to have this opening it should be okay because the space also not only is it large but two whole walls of the exhibition space are windows oh. so, <laughs> so yeah it's a sculptor's dream but a painter's nightmare it's like where are you going to hang any of your work so we have built walls but the space is just basically a an air you know yeah, and he's also utilizing a lot of the outdoor space because it is part of the exhibition to think about our surroundings. And this is a really industrial area, but he's building these works that invite the wildlife to kind of infiltrate back in. And so, a lot of the exhibition will also be held outside. So, we felt like, okay, this makes sense for this time and also for us to test coming back and see how it goes. So we will have an opening on the 28th of May, and we'll do it from, I think we said five till nine, yeah. and then by appointment.
0: Mm-hmm. And how long will it run for?
1: So it'll run for four weeks. It could be extended, but again, it's kind of like our first trial after COVID. Yeah, But then we won't have another exhibition planned at all until September. And then we have an artist that we work with very often. His name is Mitt Boras. And you could say we represent him. We only take on that responsibility with just a few artists because of the lack of resources. Yeah. yeah. So we are going to do a really big presentation of his work. He just made a new film in September during Art Week.
0: Oh, cool. Okay.
1: Yeah. So that's it for this year. We basically aren't trying to do anything else. It's just a really soft reopening an attempt to come back. But I didn't actually cancel any shows from 2020. I just told them that I would reschedule them because that's me. I probably should have canceled them just because I did, had no idea this was going to go so long, but I, and it was part of an open call. They spent a lot of time making the proposal and then they were given a show, and I find it only fair that. I don't cancel those shows that they have them at some point. So I have a backlog of exhibitions and an open call. I had held an open call right before COVID. And then I haven't been able to curate a season from that. So for now, Ex-Girlfriend has suspended the open call. We're not taking on any new proposals, any new artists until we can go through and give shows to the artists that have already proposed from the last open call. But we're talking about probably no new proposals until maybe 2023. Yeah. So, especially because we're going to try to do less exhibitions per year. So, I already know, like we've already chosen the artists from that open call. I already have a plan. I usually plan the whole year at the beginning of the year, Mm -hmm. but nothing is being released publicly. I'm not making any moves until (laughs) I can know because of, you know, it just sucks to constantly Say, here it is. And oh, nope, we got to cancel it. Exactly. No, oh, here it is. So I'm just waiting.
0: Yeah, a no, good idea. Yeah. <laughs> there was one other thing I was going to ask you about because I couldn't help but notice when I arrived. How long? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, this? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, how long do you bring a new life into the world?
1: Yeah. So that's super exciting. I almost forgot about it. I'm talking so much about <laughs> the gallery. I forgot that I'm also growing a human. Yeah. So, our babies do. August 15th. So this is my first. And yeah, I think we had made the decision to have a child. It was August, the end of August or September of last year. Mm -hmm. So from the point where I decided, okay, let's do this, let's have a kid to the point of me having it actually in my arms was like Mm -hmm. less than a year. I did not think it was gonna go that fast. But that's, it brings a whole other... Dynamic, obviously, as everyone says, you know, it changes you and your whole perspective. So who knows how this will affect the space.
0: Because was this part of your, you were back in Florida for two months and then you took a break, you had time to reflect?
1: Probably had a huge part to do with it. Well, yeah, like I think when something like a death of a parent happens and your whole world is flipped upside down, yeah, I would say that the way that my, father passed was violent for me it was slow but violent because of that the alzheimers is just such a miserable cruel disease where every time i would go back to florida i lost a little bit more of him a little bit more and towards the end he was nonverbal and i wouldn't even know if he recognized me or not in that yeah. moment so that is crazy that is really hard and then when he passed, it wasn't like I knew it was because it's a mental disease. So it wasn't necessarily that he had anything physically wrong with him, but he couldn't articulate if he even did. So it happened to me seemingly very fast, although it was over the course of a few years. But and I think in terms of Alzheimer's, it, from the point of his diagnosis to his death, it was only like three years or something. He was at the opening of Ex-Girlfriend and Steglitz.
0: Wow, okay.
1: Totally normal the normal, okay, that's not really the best word to use. Cognizant yeah. himself. So to go from five years ago, him in Berlin, staying with me, talking, discussing the work, discussing things, to a few short years later, nonverbal.
0: Yeah.
1: So yeah, that definitely pauses you. It puts a kind of like break, stops you in your tracks. And I think I needed to reevaluate again, my priorities, thinking about family, thinking about how quickly this can happen and can go. And at that point I had already been with Dan for two and a half years. And so we were in a really, really great place. Yeah. So all of those, I spent those months, my sister has three kids too. So maybe that has something to do. (laughs) You know, who knows, but yeah, I had focused my whole life Since I was 18 or 19, since I took that first sculpture class on art, and I became so hyper-focused on this. It became so important. Everything else became second Mm -hmm. or third. You know, that was me. I was just like, okay, I'm just going to leave the country and go (laughs) live somewhere. I don't know anybody. Don't have any family. There's nothing, but this is this calling. And it definitely made me stop and think. And yeah, I guess I also am going into motherhood in a similar way. I went into art or ex-girlfriend with a healthy, healthy dose of naivete (laughs) and (laughs) cluelessness. And don't we all though, you know, I think you, you can't prepare. There's no good time. There's no like perfect situation. I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but I'm going to do it. And I'm going to put everything that I have behind it and try to do it the best that I can. And I do think that raising kids as I had been nannying concurrently throughout my whole career, I find a lot of joy in it. I think I'm good at it and I love kids. And I think it's not just that, but that it's important. It's important to raise good humans, right? I think it's fulfilling in a completely different way, but fulfilling nonetheless.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's really exciting. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm really I mean, it's terrifying, it's exciting. And then yeah, you kind of are like it's something maybe that comes up for women. It's very rare that when A man is expecting his first child that then people are always asking "Oh, how are you gonna do it you know how are you gonna juggle your professional life and your and your fatherhood you know so just because of that as a woman who's becoming a new mother i just have that social narrative i have that voice in the back of my mind like how the hell am i gonna do it you know i've been an ex-girlfriend and her they've been my babies and how are you gonna add another one Mm -hmm. but you do Exactly, yeah. you do
0: I hope you enjoyed hearing the story of ex-girlfriend her and how Elena Fijou willed them into being don't forget that if you are in Berlin you can catch the closing event of Wetlands by Marius Presterud on Friday the 25th of June from 5pm at ex-girlfriend details of this and everything else we spoke about can be found in the show notes to this episode As always, if you have any questions, comments, or would like to know anything about this or previous episodes, feel free to get in touch. Please also follow and subscribe to Subtext and Discourse wherever you get your podcast fix. Thanks again for tuning in. I've been Michael Dooney, and you've been listening to Subtext and Discourse.